Good morning. Our scripture reading for today is from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be ready to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing to you. We pray that your word would shape our thoughts, our affections, our patterns of living, and even our preparations for dying. We pray that everything we do this morning and throughout our week would be for your own glory. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I've been around Christ Community Church for quite a while now, and so there's a few things that I think most people know about me. Most people know that I love baseball because... I tell people that all the time. Most people know that I'm a Calvinist because Bob outs me every chance he gets. Uh, But there's a few things that not everyone knows about me that, you know, because it's all about me, I think you should. Uh, First, I never exercise. I think I'm allergic to it. Second, I eat a candy bar Every night. And third, I hate all reality TV. Uh, Now, most statements that are stated in absolutes like that, you can identify as false statements, right? If you're taking a true false test and you see all, always, never, you can usually identify those as false. And those statements that I just made are false. Uh... Last April, I did 2,200 push-ups as part of a fundraiser, so I can't say I never exercise. I'm just on an 11-month break between sets. And I don't eat a candy bar every night. Sometimes it's cookies, sometimes it's brownies. And there's a couple reality shows about cars that I actually appreciate. Absolute statements are generally false. But here's one that I would stand behind. No great movement of the church has ever succeeded without prayer. 
every revival, every renewal, every reform movement, every great stand against the tide of heresy, there's been men and women on their knees in prayer. And it's not just those extraordinary movements. I'd venture to say that every success the church has is prayer-soaked. Every child who embraces the faith of their parents, every student who commits their life to Christ, every adult who repents of entrenched sin, every marriage that is healed, every experience of deep Christian community, it's because somebody was praying. Maybe every in that situation, maybe every is an exaggeration. God is free to do what he wants with or without our prayers. But it is certainly the pattern. It is certainly the pattern. This week we continue this series, The Community of Christ. And one of the things that emerges as absolutely true about the community of Christ, of followers of Jesus, is that they were a praying community. You see that in Jesus' own ministry. Before he steps out into public ministry, he, he takes 40 days to fast and to pray. And as he calls his first disciples, he prays with them. He prays for them. He teaches them how to pray. And on the night before he goes to trial and crucifixion, he goes to a garden And prays in such earnestness that he sweats drops of blood. And as you go into the book of Acts and begin to read about the the earliest church. I read the book of Acts this past week and prayer is just on almost every page. They prayed in the upper room. They prayed in jail cells. They fasted and prayed. They sang and prayed. They prayed for each other. They prayed together. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. And the church grew. Paul's letters are filled with his prayers for the church and and how he wants people to be praying for him and his ministry. Prayer is on every page of the New Testament almost. Now we're not going to be talking about every page of the New Testament. You can take a sigh of relief, right? We are looking at Ephesians 6. And there's three reasons I think that emerge here. Three reasons why we ought to pray. And the first is because we are at war. We pray because we are engaged in a spiritual war. Last week at Connection, I spoke about a passage that had to do with circumcision. That's awesome. You know, in a group of college students, Bob stuck me with that passage and talking about circumcision and foreskin, you know, that's not uncomfortable at all. This passage, in a way, makes me more uncomfortable. This language of warfare, because it's been co-opted, right? There's social justice warriors on one end, and there's culture warriors on another end, and I just want to be absolutely clear, make this explicit. It is not because of a cultural turn. 
It is not because of this administration or that administration or this event or that event that we talk about war. Even when the church has enjoyed the great favor of kings or presidents or society has seemed to reflect Christian values, even then the church is engaged in spiritual war. Sometimes it looks like persecution. More often than not, it's more subtle, and it's seduction. The seduction of power, the seduction of influence, the seduction of wealth. But we're always at war. There's never a ceasefire. There's never a truce. There's never a conflict we can concede. Never a battle that we can just surrender Christians are always at war. Now maybe the, the imagery of warfare, you're, you're sitting there saying, you know, that metaphor just seems so over the top or, or so sensational. And I will admit, the image of warfare has been sensationalized in popular novels, right? But it's not a metaphor. It's spoken of in metaphorical language, But we do have a real enemy who seeks to destroy, who is engaged in battle against us. Read these verses again with me, verses 10 to 12. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our our warfare is not against flesh and blood. But even if it was, praying makes sense, because I believe God is sovereign even over the forces of flesh and blood. But it's much more than that. It's not merely against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces. So it's not a war that will be won on the battlefield with tanks and rifles. It's not a war that will be won at the ballot box with votes and candidates. It's not a war that is fought for territory or natural resources. It's not just a battle for minds and hearts. Which means it's not a battle that can be merely fought with convincing arguments and emotional appeals. And it's not a battle out there or over there. In fact, the word that is used in verse 12, struggle, that's the only time that word appears in the New Testament. It was a common word in Ephesus, and it referred to wrestling, like the Olympic sport. It was close combat. The battle is right here. We're wrestling against these spiritual forces. The battle is close, and it engages all of us. But this battle cannot be fought in the power of our own might. So Paul says, stand firm in the power of his might. Verse 13 through 17, detail, putting on the full armor of God. And that would be a wonderful ACG series at some point to go through these in detail one by one. We're not going to take the time to do that this morning. 
But Paul says, put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, boots of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. And only when we have donned the entirety of the full armor of God are we availing ourselves of God's might and are we ready to stand. But what about prayer? Paul didn't say anything about prayer in that armor of God. Now that comes in verse 18. And pray and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You think he wants us to pray? Pray continually. Pray always. Pray for all the people. One commentator said that the way Paul speaks here with all of these all statements suggests that the believer will be in constant prayer and preparation for the battle as well as when engaged in the battle itself. Pray getting ready for battle. Pray as you're in battle. Pray always. And only then can you stand firm against the devil's schemes. The church has interpreted that phrase variously through the centuries. The schemes of the devil. The early church looked at that and thought that was a reference to the, the various ways Rome and other rulers had found to torture the martyrs to try to get them to recant. That was the schemes of the devil. At other times it's been more about individual temptations. How God, or strike that, how Satan will lead believers astray through temptation. At other times it's been focused on false doctrine and how it waters down the true gospel. Satan also attempts to divide and to destroy the unity of the church. In all of these things, prayer is how we stand against the schemes of the devil. Most of the time, I am blissfully ignorant about this ongoing warfare around me, this spiritual warfare. That's not a good thing, but it's the reality. And so I approach prayer as a nice thing. It's how I maintain sweet fellowship with God. And it is that. Absolutely. But it's more than that. Understanding that we are engaged in a spiritual battle makes prayer not just a nice thing, but a necessary thing. We pray because we are engaged in a battle. That was my first point, and I promise it was by far the longest. Second, we pray because the kind of fruit that lasts, the kind of fruit we want, the kind of fruit especially that God wants, comes only through God, by God. And so prayer is necessary. The kind of fruit that lasts can only be produced by God. So we pray for it. Look again at verse 19 and 20. Paul says, pray also for me, 
that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He says, I'm an ambassador. I I can't come up with my own message that would not be fitting an ambassador. So pray that God gives me the right message to speak and pray that he gives me boldness, fearlessness to proclaim it. But Paul knows that even when he proclaims it boldly, the gospel, that doesn't necessarily guarantee success. Sometimes when you proclaim the gospel boldly, you get run out of town. You get stoned. You get thrown in prison. It's not just Paul's boldness that wins converts, that produces fruit. Even if it did create growth, certain kinds of growth aren't good. Cancer is growth. Obesity is growth. Not good kinds, though. As parents, I'm sure all of us at one point have said to our children, don't fill up your bellies on Snicker bars before dinner, right? Snickers really does satisfy. You know, the logo's true, or the motto's true, but it's not a healthy filling. It is possible to grow, to fill churches by relying on spiritual junk food. It may fill the building, but it doesn't produce healthy fruit or healthy churches. I've been in churches, been on staff in churches, that use incredible, I want to be careful, uh, used flash to draw crowds. Gaudy Christmas pageants, confetti cannons, fog machines, cartoons of Bugs Bunny on Easter. Yeah. I don't want to question the motivation at all. Godly people, deeply motivated to reach the community, but flawed methods. Uh, Spiritual junk food, in a way. I'm not at all discounting the importance of good strategy, of wise programming. Those things are incredibly important. But by themselves, they don't produce fruit either. Paul never said, I spoke convincingly with great power and converts came flooding into the church. He never praised his rhetoric. He never said, I implemented a slick program for outreach. He said, I came with weakness, with fear, and trembling. Not with persuasive words. But the gospel, the gospel came with power. The spirit showed up and brought people into the fold. True gospel fruit conversions, transformation, impact, comes not through human ingenuity or power, but by the Spirit. 
So we pray. The third reason we pray is so that God gets all the glory. In the spring of 1940, German forces swept through the Low Countries and in just six weeks overran Belgium, the Netherlands, and forced France to surrender after they took Paris. The Machizard, I'm not sure if I'm saying that entirely right. I should ask my sons who speak French. They were the French resistance fighters. They continued to fight using guerrilla tactics. They harassed. They fought bravely. But by themselves, the Maquis could not push the German forces out of France. It took an outside force, the Allied invasion of Normandy. So when the story of World War II is told, it's not the Marquis who are celebrated as liberating Europe. It's those Allied forces that stormed the beaches of Omaha and Utah and etc. They get the credit for turning the tide of the battle in Europe. Similarly, in our own strength, we could never stand against the forces that war against us individually or corporately as the church. We just could not do it. But we do stand in the power of Christ through prayer. So he gets the glory. This must be our motivation for praying. Not just so that our prayers get answered, but so that he gets all the glory. Even Jesus prayed, Father, you know, take this cup from me. If possible, deliver me from this hour. But more importantly, Father, glorify your name. The Apostle Paul prays for the church. To him be glory in the church and through all generations. It's not our own health, not even our own spiritual health that ought to be the primary concern. It's certainly not our own kingdom building or our own reputation, individually or as a church, that ought to be our primary motivation. No, we pray so that God is glorified. D.A. Carson asked this series of questions in a great book. said, Do we bring our petitions, even our very good ones, before God both with a proximate goal that we might receive what we ask for and with an ultimate goal that God might be glorified? For that surely is the deepest test. Has God become so central to all our thought and pursuits and thus to our praying That we cannot easily imagine asking for anything without consciously longing for the answer to bring glory to God. We pray because we're in a battle. We pray because the only fruit that really lasts is the kind of fruit that God provides. And we pray so that he is ultimately glorified. Let me close with three very brief applications. First, let me encourage you to make a plan to pray. 
I love spontaneous dates with my wife, but we are so busy with work, with kids, with sports, etc. that spontaneous dates just wouldn't happen very often. So we have to plan for dates. We live in a day and age where we don't have long strolls home through the meadow after work to get, you know, to our cottage at the edge of the village, right? It's not our reality. We don't have long times of silence by candlelight because it's just not our reality. Spontaneous prayer is great, but make a plan in your day to pray. And then pray big. I have a friend who used to talk about setting BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goals. Make big, hairy, audacious requests of God. Uh, The kind of God-sized requests that leave no question regarding who gets the glory. Uh, The kind of requests that when they get answered, you can't think, wow, I was pretty good at that. Wow, I did that. No. Make the kind of requests that it's clear God gets the glory. Pray big. Then lastly, join others in prayer. Find a prayer partner who will pray with you, who you can text and say, hey, I I need prayers right now. The devil's schemes, they're intense. Have someone who will ask you, what are you praying for? Are you praying big prayers? Pray with others. And I would invite you to pray with us as a church staff. In your bulletin was a a yellow sheet, and if you didn't get one, there are some in the back with prayer requests from the staff for the church. Those kind of big requests, not the kind of requests that we do pray, and they're appropriate. You know, it's not the kind of request like, I hope the men's, please pray, pray the men's event goes well. Or These are the big kind of requests that are ongoing. I'd ask you to make it a point to pray with us for this church and for the ministries of this church, that they would be fruitful in the, in the way that God gets the glory. As the community of Christ, Christ's community church, we want to be known. I would say we need to be known as a community deeply invested, deeply committed to prayer. Not just that we have a few prayer warriors, but that we are a church engaged in the battle through prayer. Would you commit to that with me? Would you pray with me even now? Father, we are grateful that you haven't left us in this battle without resources. You've given us truth. You've given us the righteousness of Christ, which is our breastplate, the spirit, your word, and prayer. Through prayer, we access your power. Father, we pray, we ask that you would make us understand our deep need for you, our absolute inability to stand apart from you, our inability to produce fruit that is lasting and God-glorifying without prayer. 
Father, will you humble us and bring us to our knees so that you might be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.